This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hello and welcome to Money Talks. I'm Richard Cockett, the business editor of the Britain section of The Economist. How exactly Britain leaves the European Union on March the 29th has yet to be resolved. Many politicians appear willing to leave a final decision until the last possible minute. But for companies that have to ship stuff to the other side of the world, Brexit arrived early. A container ship can take up to six weeks to sail from Britain to South Korea or Japan. The behemoths that set off from Felixstowe docks today and tomorrow will be sailing into the unknown. They might arrive in a post-Brexit world. UK ministers are hurrying around to sign new trade deals with other countries or continuity agreements post-Brexit with those countries that currently enjoy trade deals with the EU. But this doesn't help businesses now. They are trying to operate in the face of enormous uncertainty. On this week's Money Talks, we are asking the questions. How are UK businesses preparing for Brexit? What plans have they already put in place? And how much will it cost them? What we are saying and advising companies to do is to take the minimal steps needed to mitigate against impact that are truly business critical, that are truly material for the business in the event of an older scenario. Matt Pearson, a former advisor to Prime Minister David Cameron on the Brexit referendum in 10 Downing Street. He's now a Brexit strategy consultant at EY, a consultancy. So we are not advocating to go all in and do everything you possibly can and try to address every single Brexit impact, but rather focus on what's truly material to the business and do that now, anticipating a potential notice scenario, but wait for other actions until more clarity becomes available. Right. And what areas are you suggesting that companies focus on in these preparations? There are primarily four key areas of impact, really, which are uh, first about the reintroduction of a customs border, potentially between the UK and the EU for the first time since the early 90s and a proper customs border for the first time since the 70s. So how do you build the capacity and capability to trade across a customs border? And that's quite operational. It's things like how do you actually declare uh, the shipment, filling out a customs declaration form, making sure that you have adequate classification of your products. At the moment, it doesn't matter. When you're outside the customs union, it does. And just having the skills and the people needed to just handle the customs border, be it in-house or be it through a third party. The second area is around uh, regulatory licenses. Do you have a, a license that currently is underpinned by EU law uh, on which you do business across the EU? Maybe you need to move that to an EU27 entity or to a UK entity, for example. The third area we're looking at is um, we're advising on is, is very much around the, the wider supply chain and the supply chain ecosystem. Um, and there are lots of bits and pieces there, but particularly when it comes to potential delays at the border, very much linking both to uh, the customs, uh, customs capability, but also regulatory checks. 
where uh, in some cases companies are now looking to, for example, stock build uh, and, and you know, increasing inventory. And then the final area is very much around the, the wider uncertainty, if you will, um, including economic uncertainty. If you, have a, uh, if you have a slowdown in the UK economy, if you have a drop in consumer spending, for example, how can companies take measures to prevent that or, or preempt rather, preempt that? One company who has had to find another way to distribute its goods around the globe is Atom Brands, an award-winning maker of fine whiskey and gin that sells around the world. I asked their global head of sales, Nick Ravenhall, about what they were focusing on right now. I'm mostly trying not to panic, to be fair. When we're looking at, at the uncertainty at the moment, we're, we're trying to hedge a lot of bets with most of our markets. So uh, the one thing that we're mostly concerned about is our ability to get stock offshore and, and into our, our markets around the world. Um, so the easiest thing for us to do is, is actually look for holding warehouses. So it's been part of our business operation for the last 12 months to, for our faraway markets to create these anyway. So when we're looking in, in Asia and also North America, we already have holding warehouses set up and we're, we're doing the same thing for Europe. And we're negotiating that at the moment. But what about the distribution? We've got a lot of big orders that we're just trying to, to get out the door and into market before the 29th. So some of the orders, were, which are very high value, Scotch whiskey orders, we, uh, we're air freighting. Those, those are Asian orders. Uh, and shipping into Asia can be can be a, a long and expensive process at the best of times. Uh, one of the things that we are uncertain of is because we we don't know where we're going to end up after the 29th, so we don't know what kind of tariffs are going to be waiting for us when we land the goods. So we just thought, let's get stuff over there now while we understand what we're trading with at the moment. It is that much more expensive for us to air freight stuff down. And but we we kind of looked at it and we thought, well, the uncertainty of of can we get our goods off? What does that mean for our end customers? It was cheaper than going through that pain. Companies are looking to find alternative ways to make sure their goods arrive in the right place on time, so demand is met. I spoke to Lee Pomlet, the executive director of Siva Logistics, one of the world's largest logistic and supply chain management companies. He's also chairman of the Freight Transport Association. We've taken the approach of plan for the worst and hope for the best. We've planned that there'll be a, uh, a, a situation that we'll have to face of a no Brexit, uh, which means that we, we, we would anticipate a disruption at port. And therefore, a lot of our contingency planning is around expecting a, a lot of disruption in the supply chains and trying to work a way of avoiding that happening. We'll be looking at... Um, moving stock that would normally be held in mainland Europe and moving it to UK warehouses, what people generally refer to as stockpiling. It's stock that would not normally be held in the UK, is being held in the UK, so the UK market can be accessed with ha without having to come through the ports, at least for a number of weeks or, in some cases, months, to avoid any possibility of disruption affecting the supply of products into the UK. Since the vote to leave the EU in 2016, there is mounting evidence that the economy has taken a turn for the worse. Official data published on February the 11th showed that in the fourth quarter of 2018, GDP grew by 0.2%, rounding off the weakest year since the financial crisis. Brexit is also spooking companies. 
A paper published in December by Nick Bloom of Stanford University shows that the share of businesses reporting that their biggest source of uncertainty is Brexit roughly doubled in the autumn to 19%. A speech by a Monetary Policy Committee member of the Bank of England noted that during a period when business investment in the rest of the G7 has accelerated to around 6% annual growth, the UK has been stuck around zero, deteriorating to minus 3.7% year-on-year over the course of 2018. Some companies are taking to stockpiling. For instance, the government has asked drug companies to add at least six weeks' worth of supply to their usual stock as a precaution, and even we at The Economist have ordered more of the paper we use for our front cover in case it gets delayed at the ports. But it isn't just goods coming into Britain that need to be considered. Lee Pomlet again. And it works in reverse as well. You've got production in the UK. They can't access European markets because they can't get through the ports. So you're finding a reverse situation where warehouses are being established in mainland Europe that would normally hold stock in the UK. So a reverse situation is happening as well. This is happening across a number of UK medium-sized businesses. I spoke with Greg McDonnell, the chief executive of Goodfish, a plastic injection moulding manufacturer, about what they're doing. Rather than wait for the unprepared to deliver the undefined, uh, I have spent my time making concrete plans to expand out of the UK and focus future investment in Central and Eastern Europe. So we set up a, a business, Goodfish Slovakia, um, and that took us a while with lawyers and accountants um, going through all the necessary preparations. We won't wait for the politicians to tell us what the future looks like. We will uh, expand into Slovakia uh, in order to have one foot in Brexit land and one foot in the Eurozone. And for Goodfish Slovakia, exactly what are you transferring over there now? What, in a no-deal scenario, how much of Goodfish UK would you expect to move to Slovakia? Well, we are not actually transferring anything at the moment. Um, we have set up the company, which is the first stage, and the second stage is to sign a future lease agreement on a property that we've identified as being suitable. And after signing that future lease agreement, there's about six months to complete preparations of the building in terms of floor loadings, in terms of electrical uh, supply, so in those six months, we would then be considering what work to transfer. Potentially, we could transfer about a third of our work. But really, we're looking at uh, Central and Eastern Europe uh, as an area we can move or a facility we can move product to when our customers ask us to, but also offering us greater potential for growth than I think the UK will have to offer over the next five to ten years. Large companies have seen Brexit as a political issue, and the closer we get to the deadline of leaving, they are becoming more tight-lipped on the subject. Nonetheless, Japanese car maker Nissan, for one, has cited Brexit as one reason for switching production of a model of its cars out of its Sunderland plant and back to Japan. Other companies are pausing production at their plants in the weeks after Brexit. So, there's no doubt that Brexit has caused disruption and also taken money away from other areas that companies might be invested in. Here is Catherine Bennett from Airbus speaking on a political chat show 
the BBC's Andrew Marshall in the UK this week. We've spent tens of millions of euros on readiness, for example, stockpiling parts, looking at the IT systems, working about how our employees will be able to cross over the many 80,000 journeys they make every year as part of our integrated European business. So a lot of money, I'd much rather that money was spent on hiring more apprentices, of which we have 150 being trained in our factories this year in the UK, our great skills, our engineering skills, increasing the number of women working in our business and all those kinds of things. I'd rather our money he was spent on that. But Mats Pearson from EY doesn't see the problems facing business to be wholly Brexit central. Rather, Brexit is adding to an already challenging climate. Most industries, to be honest, if you look medium to long term, have far greater disruptions to deal with than Brexit. Take automotive, right? Auto- the automotive sector is dealing with four or five very significant disruptive factors. And Brexit is problem number six, if you take it on a medium to long term scale. Not necessarily day one, but mean at long-term scale. Could Brexit have a positive effect and force businesses to refocus? British industry, notoriously, has suffered from low productivity, low skills and poor management for decades now. Some see Brexit as the spur to modernise a relatively underperforming economy. If you want to put a positive spin on Brexit and the free movement, clearly the fact that Labour will become more expensive, may force companies to in, in invest more in automation, which, at least the theory, sort of theory goes, should enhance productivity. Yeah, so there's an opportunity there, perhaps, if, if people want to grasp it. It is an opportunity, but yet, as of yet, unproven. But, but what's clear is that, to me, the biggest structural change from Brexit, if we move into a... Uh, Theresa May's hybrid version of Brexit will be the end of free movement of people. I think the, the changes to flows of goods will be less significant because it's very close to status quo, what she's proposing. Greg MacDonald sees Brexit as possibly forcing Goodfish's hand. It is quite possible that there is a, a sort of a cloud to, to this Brexit, but it's difficult to know whether actually we would have expanded abroad anyway. But actually, this has definitely focused my mind on the need to not have all my eggs in the Brexit land basket. And uh, yes, it has been a bit of a spur to move on. Conversely, we've seen some work come back to the UK, but we were seeing this before the Brexit uh, vote because of rising costs in the Far East. We've seen onshoring taking place in the UK for a while. And for Nick Ravenhall at Atom? Well, you, I think you just you just got to look at the situation and go, well, where is there more certainty? So we've got a booming business in the US. It's the same with Asia, where we've expanded our businesses over there. So we're spending a lot of time and energy in those faraway markets, really concentrating on, on building out um, our business, you know, our whiskey sales are now 50% based out of Asia, uh, another 30% is coming out of the States. So, so that's where our eye is at the moment. And when we're looking to Europe, it's, okay, we'll get what we can now, but we'll de-risk our business by focusing elsewhere. Lee Pomlet reluctantly sees the positives. Uh, it's a positive in the sense that um, our warehousing capacity is, is very full uh, and we're having to employ more staff to do... Um, warehouse operations we wouldn't normally be doing. We're having to employ staff to do customs clearances we wouldn't normally have to do as we sit here today. So we're getting in a very, very busy company, but one argue for the wrong reasons. 
The only thing we know for certain at this point, then, is that companies are planning in the face of complete uncertainty. More and more companies are now planning for the worst, as hope for the best fades. That's all for this edition of Money Talks. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And why not try a subscription at economist.com slash radio offer. I'm Richard Cockett in London. This is The Economist. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.